Well, if you turn with me in your Bibles to Hosea, Hosea and chapter 2, so in the Old Testament, Hosea, the prophecy of Hosea. I hope to spend three of our four services this weekend in this prophecy, just taking a selection of what we find in this book. So Hosea chapter 2, and we'll read uh, this chapter together. Let's hear the word of God. Say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters, you have received mercy. Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife. And I am not her husband, that she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born, and make her like a wilderness, and make her like a parched land, and kill her with thirst. Upon her children also I will have no mercy. Because they are children of whoredom. For their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers, who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore I will hedge up her way with thorns, and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Therefore I will take back my grain in its time, and my wine in its season, and I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. And I will put an end to all her mirth, her feasts, her new moons, her sabbaths, and all her appointed feasts. And I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, These are my wages, which my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall devour them. And I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with her ring and jewellery and went after lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope, and there she shall, she shall answer as in the days of her youth, 
as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal, for I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. Amen. This is uh, the word of God. Well, we'll turn uh, to this passage after we sing again in Psalm 46 in the Scottish Psalter. Psalm 46 on page 271. And we'll sing from verse 7 uh, down to... Uh, the end of the psalm, verse 11. Psalm 46 and verse 7. The Lord of hosts upon our sides doth constantly remain the God of Jacob's, our refuge as safely to maintain. Psalm 46, verse 7, to God's praise. The Lord of
seeking God's help, let's uh, turn back for a time to uh, Hosea and chapter 2. Let me just read the beginning of uh, verse 2. Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. The day has arrived, the moment that has been anticipated. It was inevitable, it was only a matter of time. What God said would happen has happened. And at some point, Hosea came home and his wife Gomer was not there. The Lord instructed Hosea in the first chapter and in verse 2, Go and take for yourself an adulterous wife. And now, after doing that, after being obedient to God, she's left. She's gone chasing after her own desires. She's run away from her own family, her children, And she's pursued a new life. So with the imagery of Hosea and Gomer's marriage in your minds, the focus as we turn into chapter 2 is now on God, the Lord, and Israel. You can work out who's who. Israel is the unfaithful wife who has run away from her faithful Husband, the Lord our God. That's the imagery and the picture and the language that is presented to us here in chapter 2. So it's important we understand that from the very outset. What we see in this chapter is how painful your sin is to God. For sin isn't just simply breaking his law, but if we use this language, it's breaking his heart. The chapter for us, it splits uh, quite evenly, or certainly we see it even in our ESV Bibles. It splits into two. So I want us to look at both sides of this chapter and see, first of all, Israel's disgrace and God's grace. So Israel's disgrace and God's grace. Well, first of all, Israel's uh, disgrace. And we see these first uh, 13 verses. Now maybe you can remember, recall uh, some, if you've ever watched some sort of uh, comedy programs where the husband and wife are having a petty argument and the wife says to one of her children in the hearing of her husband, Tell your father that I'm not speaking to him. And before the child can pass on the message uh, obliviously to her father, the father then says, you can tell your mother mother, that I'm not speaking to her. Maybe we don't need to watch TV. Maybe you can uh, recall that playing out, that funny scene playing out even in your own (coughs) homes. But there's nothing funny about the scene that's before us in Hosea chapter 2. It opens with God the Father saying to the children, in verse 2, plead with your mother. 
plead with us. In one sense, this is a call for all of the individuals of the nation of Israel, of God's people, the individuals within this nation to distance yourself. You don't need to go down with the ship. The nation of Israel may be descending into the depths and into the darkness of idolatry and sin, but that doesn't mean that you all need to be tarred with the same brush. And so I guess right from the outset of our communion weekend and our service this evening, there's a call to you, the individual. As a Christian, the call is for you and for those of you who are not yet a Christian. Don't just follow the crowd. Don't just do what they are doing. But take a stand for Jesus and step out in faith at school, at work, in the home. God is calling you, the individual, to turn to turn away from the wrong that they are doing and to run to him. Otherwise, you may go down with the ship. You may be tarred with that same brush and to be judged along with them. But you know, God doesn't want Israel to sink in their sin. What God wants is to bring Israel, the nation, the individual to repentance He wants her back. And one way he does that is in verse 6. We're going to see three times in this chapter the word therefore. You may be able to just see it. But three times that word appears, first of all, here in verse 6. It says, therefore, I will block her path. God will set a hedge of thorns on the sides of of her. And it may hurt Whenever she goes wayward, but the point of it is so that the wrong paths for her are hard to find. And we see this along our own fields where we are in, in Fern and Easter Ross. We're surrounded by fields, and very often the farmers have these electric fences to keep, as any of you do if you keep animals, to keep them in. And where we may know, you can sometimes even hear that electric current. As you walk or run past it. But we may know. Don't get too close. Don't touch it. Because there's dangers. But for the animal. They need to hurt. They need to learn the lesson. The hard way. They'll realize. Once they've tried. That they cannot trespass. Beyond this boundary. And when we begin to stray. In our faith. The Lord will set up a sometimes painful parameters until we recognize that God is trying to bring us back to him, to bring us back on track. When God prevents us from being able to satisfy our sinful desires, we don't like it, but it's really one of the sweetest expressions of God's love as he hedges up your way and to wall you in. And the prodigal son, you remember, in the New Testament, he goes chasing after all of these fleeting desires 
his pleasures of sin. But he soon realises as he sat amongst the pigs that he was far better off when he resided in his father's house. As God shut off one root of sin, he makes his way home. And the Lord predicts that that's what's going to happen to Israel. They will also make their way home. Look at verse 7. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband. For it was better for me then than now. She's going to go back to God. Israel is going to come back to God. But she's only coming back, not out of love for him, but out of lust for what she can get from him. And then we see in verse 8. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, God saying, the wine and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Not only has Israel committed spiritual adultery, but she was completely mistaken. It was the Lord who had provided for her all along. She was taking what God was giving her, but attributing it to all of her other gods. These are the gods who have the sun god, or the moon god, or the the harvest god, or the fertility god, and saying it was them who was giving it all to her. But all along it was our gods. Think again about uh, chapter 1, and that image we have of Hosea and Gomer, and their, their fragile, if not broken, marriage. And it's as if Hosea went to the house of Gomer's lovers when she had left him. She now lived there in adultery. He knew that this scoundrel of a man couldn't provide for Gomer and so Hosea knocks at the door and he speaks to the man who answers, Are you the man living with my wife? What a question. I'm Hosea, her husband. What a statement. I've brought this food and money so that she can be provided for. What generosity and grace. And then Hosea, as he turns and walks away, Gomer and her lover would feast on the food that Hosea has brought. This is how the Lord loves us. Lavishly blessing us even when we stray from him. Even when you're worshipping your idols. Providing us, God is providing us with blessings that we waste. And give credit to others, to our other gods. You may not think tonight that you worship idols. But ask yourself, does anything... Does anyone at any time matter more to you than your God? And they may be good things, loving relationships. But if anything takes that place of God, then it has become an idol. We see in every verse, from uh, verse 9 to 13, that we have a series of decisive actions from the Lord toward his adulterous wife, this nation of Israel, his people. 
He says in these verses, I will take away my grain. I will expose her lewdness. I will stop all her celebrations. I will ruin her vines. I will punish her. He had already warned her in the opening verses, let her remove this adulterous, this adulterous look from her face. Otherwise, I'm going to strip her naked. Just as the baby enters into this world with nothing, so God will remove Israel's blessings so that she has nothing left. Israel will be brought back to how she was before God took her under his protective wing. God would bring shame upon her by stripping her. He was going to expose her. What she was willing to do in private, he will now uncover in public. She has run off from their marriage vows, from the commitment that she made. She has flaunted herself to the world and to other gods. She has left me, and even as verse 13 concludes, she has forgotten me. As Christians, you know, we may feel uh, guilty, even truly uh, repentant when we sin. But do we ever consider how it makes God feel? And if you're not a Christian, the sin that you continue in, do you think about God? Gomer's story is. Israel's story and it's your story as well he sees his bride walking off and giving herself to the world and to the other gods as Christians you know that your sin has been forgiven past, present and future praise the Lord But it still matters to God. Our sin is painful to God. It's costly to God. Because it meant that the Son of God had to become sin for us. God hates sin. And we must hate it too. So Israel's disgrace. But thankfully we turn from verse 14 onwards to God's grace. In verse 14 we have the third, uh, therefore, we kind of skipped over the second one, it's there in verse 9. So first of all in verse 6, therefore I will block her, he's going to hedge up her ways, hinder her sinful ways. And then in verse 9, therefore I will take away my grain, God's going to remove the blessings from The nation of Israel. Now in verse 14, what you expect to come is the signature and the dotted line of the divorce papers. Therefore, I will leave her, God is, we think, going to say to Israel. Therefore, I will let her go off in her sin. Therefore, I will let her abandon me and go off to her other lovers. Now, when we think about ourselves, how easily. We wander off into the paths of sin. How often uh, the Lord has attempted to bring you back. 
Yes, first and foremost, when he saved many of you, and he brought you into his kingdom. But even this week, even last night, even today, that sin that clings so closely to you individually, and you gave your attention to it. So would we be really surprised if the Lord one day said, enough is enough, have it your way. That would be logical. But it's not the logic of God's grace. Verse 14 says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her. Instead of destruction, we have an even deeper level of desire to bring her back. Therefore, the Lord says, I will go on loving her. I will not let her go. I will pursue her and bring her back to me and restore the marriage relationship where her earthly uh, patience will come to some end. The Lord goes on in his love. It goes deeper and deeper for you whom he loves. I can say, I think, confidently that every one of you who are Christians here this evening, you have experienced this love of the Father that goes so deep. It goes so much further than you even thought the Father's love went. When you became a Christian, yes, you knew all your sins were forgiven, past and present and future but he has gone on loving you and you've experienced that even when you've known you've drifted and you've backslidden to whatever extent and you've grown cold in your Christianity. Perhaps lockdown was difficult. Perhaps even tonight is difficult as a Christian and yet you know and I hope that the Lord is reminding you this evening of how much he loves you. How much he loves you. The point of tonight is not how much I sin, but how much God the Father loves you. And it's nothing that we've earned. It's nothing that we've merited. That's what grace is. It's given because you don't deserve it. It's given, as we'll see, because God has made a way for you. Verse 14, therefore, uh, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. Just imagine a husband whose marriage is in trouble and the relationship between him and his wife is strained to breaking point and one final attempt to get things back on track, he takes his wife back to where it all began. Back to where they fell in love. Reminding her of how it all started. That's what God's doing in these verses to his nation Israel. He's going to take Israel back out to the desert, to the wilderness. Back to where it all began. Where he freed them from the slavery of Egypt. Where he brought them through the sea miraculously. Where he saved them from their enemies. Where he made the covenant with Moses 
on the top of Mount Sinai where he provided for them bread from heaven, water from the rock, quail from the sea. He was going to remind them of who he was. That he's not just the creator of the heavens and the earth, but he is the one who sustains the heavens and the earth. He is the one who is with them at all times. He is wanting to remind them as we stand to be still and know that I am God. The desert is unfertile ground. Israel had been attributing all of their success and their pleasure and their prosperity to all of these other gods. We'll see in the name of Baal mentioned here. They were attributing all of their all that they had received to Baal and other gods like it. But it was even in the unfertile ground, it was there the Lord provided for them. The Lord did it, not any other God, and he would remind her that it is he that she loves and who truly, truly loves her. And so the tone changes. Hosea's prophecy is no longer about punishing Israel, but restoring her. Verse 15. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. You can see in your Bibles there's a number one beside Achor. It takes you to the bottom of the page. And Achor means trouble or troubling. The valley of Achor, it appears uh, three different times in the Bible. But how can this place of trouble become a place of hope? How can the place of trouble become a place of hope? We cannot change it ourselves. We know that. But there is one who can. And there's one who does. God sets hope before us when all seemed lost. He does it by taking your trouble on himself. Remember those words that Jesus said in the final hours before his death, as he thought ahead to all that would take place at Calvary, he said in John chapter 12, Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. And in the next chapter, in chapter 13, we are told, Jesus was troubled in spirit. Why was he troubled? He was troubled in your place. God troubled him with your sin, with all of your sin, whatever sin it is. He troubled him with our sin that we might be saved from it, and brought back to God. It's on the basis of Jesus' death 
for our sin that we can now say in the next chapter of John, John 14, where Jesus can say to us, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The door of hope is open to us so we can step out of the valley of Achor, the valley of trouble, the valley of our sin, and we can step onto the rock of our salvation. And you can sing, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And in verse 16 it says, In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my bow. There's a play on words here. There's a double emphasis. Uh, the word in Hebrew and used here in the ESV is the word Baal. In the NIV, it is translated what this can mean. It's translated as master. So it says, You'll no longer, you will now call me my husband and no longer call me my master. Because you see here is the double emphasis. Baal can mean my master, and it can also mean Baal, the name given to one of her idols. You'll no longer call me by one of your idols. You'll no longer call me master, this distant, unaffectionate name. You'll call me husband. You will no longer utter his name anymore. She will not just say it because... She wants something from him. She will say it because she loves him. It's like an employee who has gone on to marry her boss. And for years in the office she's called him sir. But when the wedding day comes, she now calls him my husband. And no longer will she call him my boss. This is God's invitation to Israel. It's an invitation to think of him differently. Not simply as his distant tyrant or just the genie in the bottle who we come to when we need something, but as a loving, caring husband. And verse 20, it ends with the promise the last words of this uh, chapter you are my God sorry verse 20 and you shall know the Lord verse 20 ends with that promise you shall know the Lord uh, to know in the Bible it has the language of uh, intimacy and just as a husband and wife have that deep knowledge of one another you will know God and be known by him and it stands as we've seen earlier in the chapter in such contrast to verse 8 when Israel didn't know it was the Lord who was providing for her and in verse 13 when she forgot him and pursued her other lovers but now she will know him and remain with him forever names are really important 
There's a reason that you all have the names that you have. Uh, when uh, we were trying to uh, finalize a name for our wee girl, uh, we had a long list of different possibilities, but none of them were the three names given to Hosea and Gomer's three children. They had interesting names, but in, verse, in chapter 1, as they were given, they're now reversed in chapter 2. Chapter concludes with these reversal of the three children's names, and they're renamed because the relationship between Israel and the Lord has been restored. Jezreel it means uh, God plants or God sows, God scatters, but no longer is it going to be a sowing in judgment, but it's going to be a sowing of blessing. The second child was called Lo-Ruama, which meant not loved. Now she will be called Ruama. God will show love to her. The third child was called Lo-Ami, which meant not my people. And now she will be called Ami. You are my people. The chapter here in Hosea 2, it takes us from the pit of sin and now ends on the mountaintop of hope. It's peak at this, it peaks here at this climax with Israel returning and saying in verse 23 at the very end of the chapter, You are my God. She was so far away and she has come back. She rebelled and yet she has repented because the Lord never gave up on her. And hear me say it this evening, the Lord will never give up on you because he loves you deeper than you know. So how far away are you tonight from him? How long have you been running astray? And perhaps you're not a Christian. And perhaps tonight God is calling you to come to him. To come with all of your sin. And he will love you forevermore. And even as Christians, tonight we need to stop running. We need to repent. We need to return and we need to come home. Remember Peter's words in his letter in the New Testament. You, Christian, once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so come, come to the Lord's table. Come and remember what Jesus Christ has done for you. That because of his death on the cross and his rising from the grave, you are the people of God. Let's pray together. Lord our God, we... Uh, can't fully grasp 
the depth of your love for us. And yet we thank you that uh, that love is available to all of us. And so our prayer is for any that tonight they would come and perhaps for the first time bow down to Jesus and receive your love and your forgiveness as they come in repentance. And Lord, forgive us as your people who today and this week recently have given too much time to other things, other people, legitimate as they may be, and not to you. So over this weekend and tonight, let us be reminded of the love of God. Let us be reminded of what God has done. And you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins. Let us fix our eyes on Calvary as we approach your table this weekend. As we look at Jesus, it was my sin that held him there. As we look at Jesus, do all of us see our Saviour paying the price for us? Continue with us. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's uh, conclude our worship this evening in singing Psalm 147 in the Sing Psalms. It's on page 192. We'll sing the first seven verses. Oh, praise the Lord, how good it is to sing him songs of praise, how pleasant to give thanks to him for all his gracious ways. Psalm 147, verse 1 to 7, to God's praise. No, praise the Lord,
message to us this evening and we pray that as he continues to minister here in the congregation that his word, God's word to us would be blessed. God willing, tomorrow uh, Andrew will take the service and the service will be at 12 noon. The prayer meeting will be at 6 o'clock in the evening. After the, the benediction, the church session will be meeting and will constitute. And if there are any who belong to the congregation who are deciding to make public profession of their faith in Christ for the first time, a way is open to them to meet with the session. These are the intimations. Now may grace, mercy and peace from God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of you both now and forever. Amen.